Star Wars. Not just six movies by George Lucas anymore, but an entire franchise of films, television shows, tie-in books, comics, games both mobile and board, and of course, toys. With the release of Star Wars The Force Awakens and its subsequent box office success, the new Keepers of the Holocron, the Walt Disney Company, has committed to providing years of Star Wars content in the near future. Where culture is created, it will be discussed. So we're proud to present another installment in Fighting in the War Room's ongoing series of Star Wars specials. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room Star Wars Special Episode 4. It's Thursday, January 14th, and in this day in Star Wars history, screenwriter Lawrence Kasdan was born in Miami, Florida. I'm Joanna Robinson, and joining me is publisher for Film School Rejects, Neil Miller. Hello. Hello. And Star Wars obsessive, Dave Gonzalez. Hello, Dave. Hello. Uh, we are gathered here together on your Fighting the War Room feed. Amen. Amen. To talk to talk about what we've learned about the existing Star Wars movies since they came out. Um, and by movies, I mean one movie, The Force Awakens. And also what we know going forward. Uh, if you're listening to this, maybe you know us from talking about a lot of spoilers when it comes to Game of Thrones. This is something we love to do, so rest assured we will be doing this. But we're going to put it behind a little spoiler shield so that we can talk in a non-spoiler way for a little bit about this great awakening that is Star Wars in our pop culture. Uh, to kick us off, Dave. Yeah. What do you think is the most interesting thing you've learned about The Force Awakens since it came out, since we last recorded I about think, it? I uh, think between the novelization and the screenplay being released for awards consideration to the public, uh, the most interesting things that I've learned about The Force Awakened are that Akto, it's sort of Klingon sounding, uh, and may not even Bless be you. pronounced that way. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Uh, is the name of the planet that Luke is on at the end of the movie, and it is the planet the first uh, Jedi Temple is on, which is kind of cool. And uh, that I think that uh, there's some regret in Kylo Ren in the climactic moment, uh, which was revealed in the novelization, which I think is you know lays more fertile ground than Adam Driver's performance, which hey. was really good. Which was really good. But, you know, for Star Wars geeks, sometimes you literally need it to have words on a page spelled out for you. And so I'm glad that it's there because I'm so psyched for that character moving forward. Do you think the novelization was worth, like, do you think everyone should read it? How do you feel about it? Um, It's a good way to relive the movie. And it has a whole bunch or a whole bunch, a few action sequences that were deleted from the movie because it was written from an earlier draft. Uh, But it's, I don't know. It's a fun way to not see the movie again, but to still have the Force Awakens experience. And there's a little bit more depth added to things like the Resistance or how Starkiller base works or what Princess Leia is doing, General Leia is doing uh, throughout uh, the movie that may assuage some of the nitpicks you have from just seeing the film. Um, and Neil, did you read the novelization? Um, I did not, but I've... I've... I've been learning things from it uh-huh. vicariously through the people around me. What do you think is the most interesting thing you've uh, learned? It's actually something I found out today mm-hmm. uh, from my roommate, who is currently reading the novelization, uh, that there is a little bit of a moment between Ray and Poe Dameron toward the end, after all the battles are done, after the First Order has been defeated, to whatever extent they've been defeated. Uh, and she meets Poe, I guess, and they have a little hug. She has a little taken aback moment. Oh, an, so an awakening? Sexual. That's where the awakening, there's like a double awakening. Uh, the it should, be, should have been called the force and then something else awakens. <laughs> um, so I find that, I, I think it's fascinating because, I mean, we've, I've been on the, you know, the Tumblr. Yes. And with all the kids and their shipping and all the shipping that they want to do for uh, Star Wars. And I've seen some interesting ones, you know, Poe and Finn and. Ray and Kylo Ren and <laughs> Hux and Phasma, which is my favorite one. Uh, I, like, but this is... I like Hux and Kylo also. Okay. 
I, I feel like the Hux and Phasma thing works for me because that explains why she's allowed to be so incompetent <laughs> is that like they have a thing and he just kind of looks by the fact that she's just totally uh, kind of useless as a commander. Right. Um, but anyway, the um, the Ray and Poe thing is interesting because I think the assumption when you walk out of the movie is, oh, well, she and Finn like have a thing. Right. But maybe they're just buddies and she really likes Poe po Dameron and his... Just one hundred percent good guy, handsome face. Well, I feel like Finn has a crush on Ray, and mm-hmm. and Ray just sees him as a buddy. Well, uh, he's the one that had the idea to come back for her, which no one's yeah. ever done for her in her life. So yeah, that mm-hmm. bond is going to mean something. A, bo- a beloved buddy. Also, who doesn't love Poe Dameron? It's like, who no doesn't one. love any of these characters? I'm on the internet. No one. Yeah. Um. So I have there's, a- there's, although the shipping thing's been interesting because that's something that's like. It's weird that anybody's shipping. It's not weird. I should have expected it. But to me, it's weird to ship anybody with Ray because, like, didn't we learn anything with, like, the Luke and Leia kiss the first time around? Like, you don't, you mm-hmm. don't know what you're doing. As, you could be as, incesting all around. Playing with fire yeah, all but over. As someone pointed out to me, so I, I, I said that as soon as I saw Kylo and Ray stuff on Tumblr. I was like, didn't we learn anything from Luke and Leia? Has no one taught the children about Luke and Leia? Like, let's <laughs> let's calm down. But someone pointed out to me that like some of the most popular ships on Tumblr are like the brothers on Supernatural, like the, the right. you know, yeah. the, the win the Wincest is what they call it, or the Winchester yeah. brothers. So like mm-hmm. incest almost makes it hotter for some people, which is right. I also you know, saw Pornhub's annual report, which kind of also explains it. Um, I mean, no, I'm fine with Pornhub's annual report. I'm not fine with incest <laughs> as like no, the, the popular the stuff that's shit. on Pornhub's <laughs> annual report is is weird. It's got really weird. Um, <laughs> But I guess the big question is, is this new trilogy more or less interested in incestuous suggestiveness? <laughs> you know, or is it just going to be accused of repeating beats again? I mean, I just get so tired mm-hmm. of, of that. I'm really tired of that criticism. Well, hey, incest is just part of our visual poetry. Hey, man, it's just <laughs> it's the repeating nature of the Skywalker saga. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see if the Star Wars saga is able to elevate a relationship like... I don't know, into something that's actually organic. I mean, Han Solo and uh, Princess Leia in the original trilogy is fine, but like Anakin Skywalker and Padme in the prequel trilogy is like really bad. And it sort of seems like every time there's a relationship, there's some sort of giant cataclysmic consequence for a Skywalker. So I could see them investigating what like a romantic relationship versus like true love is depending on what happened to Luke. I'm not counting it out is all I'm saying. I want I want <laughs> I want to go back to what you said about the um the island Octo, right? Uh we're going to probably talk about this a little bit more in depth in the spoiler section, but I did want to reveal how many times have you guys uh seen the movie at this point, Dave? How many times? I think 3, 3. 3 and Neil? Yeah, I think 3. Okay. So I saw it 5 times and <laughs> um no, I'm not trying to one up you. I'm uh, this, is, this is an embarrassing. You're a better person than me. This is an embarrassing admission. No, I just you know it was. I really liked it. It was out over Christmas, and I kept seeing like old friends, and they hadn't seen Star Wars yet. And I was like, cool, mm-hmm. let's go see Star Wars. You know, um, that's how it always happens. And uh, on the fourth time, after the fourth time, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, and I was like, "What is the the Jedi War War reel?" I was like, is that the name of the temple, the Jedi War Reel? He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, you know, Ray says, oh, the Jedi War Reel. And he's like, no, she says the Jedi were real. And I was like, cool. That took me four <laughs> times and someone explaining it to me <laughs> for me to not mishear that line. So Were you I- thinking like, like Captain America-esque, like... Today, over in uh, the European theater, like you get into a theater and there's like a Jedi war reel. I no, mean, not, like, not like a war reel. Like I thought the name of the temple was like something, not like war reel, but like some cool, like <laughs> the war reel, the war reel or something like that was the name of the temple. Oh. That's what I thought she was saying. So I was what, like, what oh. What Neil's describing <laughs> is the Clone Wars animated series. <laughs> <laughs> Um, did you have anything that you didn't get until like your third viewing or am I the only dummy here? Because mine were in such rapid succession, I didn't know for sure that the Senate had been like blown up and how many times it was referenced in the movie, which I think is twice. 
until like get the, after my third time. They really bungled making clear the political stakes in this movie, which I'm sure wasn't intentional because the prequel trilogy is so politically centric. But I don't know. I was looking for it both the first, second, and third times and had trouble like digging it out. And Neil? Did I learn anything more? I probably learned the most the second time. The third time, I don't know. The first time, the first and third times, it was just kind of a sit back and enjoy it. Um, but no, I don't think there's anything new that I learned. I think a lot of the questions that I had coming out of the movie were questions that did not get answered by the movie mm-hmm. uh, and then were subsequently answered you know, on slash film or in a visual guide somewhere. Um, so no, I, I, and, and I'm one of the, I, I don't know if I'm in the minority on this, but I didn't, the, the stuff that's not in that movie, the stuff that the answers that are not in that movie didn't bother me so much because yeah. it's a small piece of a whole that is going to continue to get filled in. Um, and as much as, they say they made this movie without knowing what happens next. Like now we're getting stuff like JJ Abrams knows what Ray's last name is where like, um, you know, before the movie came out, he was like, yeah, we don't even know what that is yet. They're just going to make that up later. Um, so, uh, you know, I think a lot do you of think stuff he always held back. Do you think he always didn't know? Or do you think, they, I think he always looped him in since? Okay. I, I think that there is, mm-hmm. you know, and we were, my my roommate and I were talking about this last night. Um, you know, the the worry that, oh, maybe they might let Colin Trevorrow do some writing on episode nine uh, instead of having Ryan Johnson do both eight and nine, which is what they've kind of said. And the, the reason why I wouldn't worry about that, even though Colin Trevorrow, you know, kind of made a mess out of my all-time favorite franchise, um, is that there is a story group at Lucasfilm that is none of these people are a part of the story group. There's a story group that is completely separate from JJ and Ryan and Colin Trevorrow that is kind of in charge of this stuff. So they know what's going on. And I don't think that they're going to let it get off track regardless of who's actually going to have their name on the script. I don't think I'm worried about Colin Trevorrow, like getting the bare bones of it wrong. Um, you're worried about him putting Ray in high heels and running through the desert? Uh, or, like, I don't know. Well, I mean, all it takes is one slave bikini to, like, you know, <laughs> tarnish the third movie for however long. Well, but if it's Trevor, it's going to be like somebody opens a drawer somewhere and there's a slave bikini in there. Oh, yes. And that's yes. it. Oh, my God. Just how yeah, cool he's being want- with it already. I don't, I don't like the direction Colin Trevorrow is going in. I'll say it. I'll say this. I mean, I'm I am quick to be offended by Colin Trevorrow thanks to what he did to Jurassic World, but when he responded to the whole like petition to have Lucas direct Episode Nine instead of Colin Trevorrow, like his his overall response was pretty charming. He was like, "Oh, I thought it was funny," and you know, whatever. Uh, but he was like, uh, "That's cute." They think they want George back. He was like, "But I was giving this big important speech at Lucasfilm, and I was like, Colin Trevorrow, I just." am angered by your existence. <laughs> <laughs> Just can't deal with you right but now. I don't want to hear about your big important speech that you were giving at Lucasfilm. I don't. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm really excited for what Ryan's going to do. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. so what else do we want to talk about that's that's spoiler spoiler free? Uh, but Kylo Ren recognizes Rey in the final battle uh, before they do lightsabers in uh, the novelization. And how, like, how does it describe how he recognizes her? So uh, the moment where she pulls the lightsaber out of the snow to her, he turns and says, it is you, before they battle. Oh. I so love the, that the, line. And the presumption is that he knows, God, man, my, my whole theory about them being brother and sister, that's you know completely novel, and I'm the only one who's ever come up with it. Um, <laughs> it's pretty spot on, I think. Neil Neil Stradam is yeah. yeah, strikes again. Or cousin, I think if she were his cousin, uh, yeah. I'd say so. It is you. Right? I've also been greatly entertained by. I'm part of the. I'm part of. I use the Star Wars card trader app still, 
and they just mm-hmm. released like series three, which includes Force Awakens characters, and it is amazing how quickly like already these side characters that I did not know were in the Force Awakens have like names and like entire looks. Like that's mm-hmm. something that took obsessing about the first movie about for like three or five three to five years before it would really like plumbed all of the cantina. But instantly I go my card trader app and look at individualized portraits of everybody in Maz Kanata's cantina already and know all it, their names. Is, is a uh, Judah Friedlander in there? Uh, Judah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe what care? Do you know what character he plays? Yeah. Well, he's humanoid. He's got like a leather cap on his head and then like a beard. He looks like, Jude Freelander, and he like, she's like <laughs> wearing a baseball cap. I mean, no, he's wearing like a leather cap. Like he's still wearing a hat, and like Maskana is like Han Solo, and then it cuts to him turning around and looking quickly at the camera, like as if what's all this commotion? I was on Thirty Rock, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like very distinctly him. I haven't been able to pick out like some of the other people that are. I mean, I know what. Um, Warwick Davis's uh, character looks like because I guess we freaking photographed him from Vanity Fair and nobody like knew it was Warwick no one, Davis. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I caught Warwick Davis's character the second time. What is the name of? Okay, he's just bar patron, as far as I could tell. Let me see if I could find more. If I could find his, if his character has a name, then he has one of these cards. Yeah, Warwick Davis's character has a name. Yeah. Um, I have a question. Yes. I want to go back for a second to the... I'm ready. Oh, it is you line. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that it could be just written off as like he recognizes that she is the one who's been awakened? Yeah. Oh, I feel an awakening. Oh, it's right. you. It oh, it's you. you. You're the awakening. Mm. Okay. Maybe, but wouldn't that... I just, I'm trying to think like how J.J. Abrams would spin that to make us think that that's not about a familial connection. Well, it's just about a him. I'm all knowing. up in JJ's head right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm in his head. What well, about Lawrence Kasdan's head? Yeah, we'll revisit. That was a tougher one. I'm sure we'll revisit this in the spoiler section, but I think there's a way that it is you could mean basically anything. <laughs> all right. Anything else spoiler for you we want to talk about? Because I really want to talk about Rogue One. Uh, <laughs> That's in the spoiler section. So. Let me think. Other stuff that's been cool and Star Warsy that was good information that is super necessary. Hmm, no, I don't think so. There's been cool stuff about uh, like scenes that have been cut but were shot. Uh, but I'm sure that we'll be revisiting that closer to April when the discs are supposed to hit. Oh, okay. Oh my god, we're gonna watch all the special features, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Okay, special features. <laughs> Those were good, even on the prequel series. I'm gonna do uh, 87 things we learned from the DVD commentary. <laughs> oh, 87! Come on, you yeah. can do better than that. Um, <laughs> all right. So um, the last thing I'll say is very inside baseball. So we know that The Force Awakens overtook Avatar within like three weeks to become the highest-grossing film in the United States. Is there any chance it touches Avatar's global global box office? I'm going to say unlikely, but sure, there's a chance. You know what I need to look up? Because uh, it opens in China the day this podcast comes out, right? I thought it already did, and it got like 53 million. Like yeah, a red- it, already, it already did open in China. Yeah. Oh, it did open in China. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess China's the big you know, the, the last big holdout. I don't, I don't know if it has the momentum to catch um, Avatar on its own now, um, but it, you know what? Let's, let's look something up. Let's see what the Phantom, the Phantom Menace was the highest grossing of the prequels, right? Is that right? Yes. So let's see what it made in China. It made $4 million. What? Yep. Four million dollars. Okay, so the force of it, made five, it only made five hundred fifty-two million abroad. I mean, so I the, guess that kind of gives us an idea. So the force awakens at one point seven, right? And uh, worldwide. Mm-hmm. And Avatar, what was it? It's two point seven. So, it, so, so it has to get another billion dollars. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. 
And I don't think it's going to happen, but it's so crazy. Like the, the trajectory is so crazy, right? Because it overtook Avatar so quickly. Like it had just like such a hotter opening. But Avatar, I guess, uh, I mean, a lot of people say that Avatar just stayed in theaters forever, which apparently it did. And true. And also I, I can see how it would have like a more, I mean, this is not the place for us to fight about the fact that Avatar is a bad film, but I could <laughs> see how it would have more of a, a global appeal being more visual based even more so than the force awakens is mm-hmm. right so yeah it was in it was in release for 34 weeks it's nuts. Um, and that's how long it took it to amass it's almost with you know, 2.7 billion yeah uh, 2 billion of which was foreign and stuff like you, know, you look at the territories and you look at like it made 204 million in china and it made 100 million in australia um but it made 53 million in china opening weekend that's right? true. So I, I think guess, I think it's still possible. I guess what we can, gets, we can what we can look for is what the second weekend in China is good. Like, is it going to get mm-hmm. that re- return business that right. it got in the U.S. or not? You know, I think it's um, like what was it? Avatar got booted in like February out of 3D theaters for Alice in Wonderland. So if we mm-hmm. get to February and it's like, even if it's just plateauing by that point. And it looks like it's going to be able to have legs, like even beyond twenty weeks, might be able to put it in the ballpark. But it's all about whether or not it could latch on overseas. And I can't think of anything else that's going to give it a run for a while. But I haven't looked at like foreign mm-hmm. language markets for a bit. I mean, they don't care about our awards as much as anybody. BB eight, BB eight's really cute. So BB eight is universal. Um, I, I do you think it's possible because it's at eight hundred and twenty million now? Uh, do we think this could be the first billion dollar domestic release? I'll go see it again if that'll help. I mean, I got plans to go see it again this weekend. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I really do think people are still seeing it. Um, I mean, it made forty. It still won the box office last week. Yeah, you know, that'd be great. One billion domestic, good news. And then, um, you know, this is a good segue into our spoiler section, but like. <clears throat> Lucasfilm hasn't done <clears throat> like anything to promote Rogue One. They've released a photo, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the most anticipated film of 2016. So, you know, they're they're riding they're riding this high. Uh, let it. Should we should we adjourn to the spoiler section of this podcast? We should we put, Sound- put up the shield. Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes or given you clairvoyance enough to find the rebels' hidden fort. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Enough of this. Vader, release him. As you wish. Before we get to okay, this is officially the spoiler section. Before we get to Rogue One, though, are there any Dave? Do you want to talk about Octo and and what else you know about that island? Oh, uh, they so they already went back to shoot on Skelling Michael Island and off Ireland, which is where they shot Octo for uh, Episode Seven. They already went back and shot something for Episode Eight, and then they've built like moving, collapsible replicas of the huts that are going to be used on a soundstage, and then they're also going to uh, sub in like a more temperate peninsula off Ireland. Uh, for the island for additional shoots. So we might be spending a little bit more time on Octo in the second movie than we did in the first. And it's not like we're going to pick up with uh, them taking off in the Falcon or anything. So you, and you also um, told me that it's confirmed. I mean, I I think it's pretty clear from his beefy forearm, but that confirmed that it's Unker Plutt, uh, who is uh, Simon Pegg's, uh, character in Ray's flashback is tiny little Ray's being left. Yeah, that's um, drag, dragging her away. Right. Um, what does that mean to you in terms of clues as to who left Ray there and why? Um, I mean, it's it's my opinion hasn't really changed since the last Star Wars special in the sense that I still like the idea that you know, certain people had their memory altered by like a great force power or something because otherwise things like 
Han looking meaningfully at Ray when she says she hasn't seen that much green, like doesn't hold as much weight because it's like, why would Han Solo, who, you know, isn't chasing his child through the galaxy, somehow feeling for this stranger that somehow knows to fly how to fly his ship. But the idea that, you know, he knows about Unkar Plot and Jakku uh, earlier on and, uh, uh, by the time we catch up with it, Ray's sort of forgotten about all of that, or at least in the novelization parts where she's on Jakku, she doesn't like Ankar Plot a lot. Um, but never mentions like you know he brought me up or he's the one who you know set me up in my ATAT or anything. So it just complicates <laughs> things in the sense that that side character is there in a really key role, but whoever left Ray there, that's how they were, you know, keeping an eye on her, possibly, if they were. So you think it's Unker Plot and not Max von Sydow's character who was there to keep an eye on her? Yes, I think Max von Sydow's character, he was like, uh, according to like the visual dictionary and stuff, he's like an explorer. So as the Empire was pulling out into the Uncharted systems, they were like burning their records as they went, which is... Uh, you, uh, why Kylo Ren has to, or no, why R2-D2 only has like a piece of the whole galaxy-wide map and the rest is with the empires because the empires started destroying things. And so Luke and uh, Max von Sydow's character when they were younger sort of like went out into the galaxy on like an information hunting trip uh, to either recover old records or find out more information about the Jedi. And that's probably what eventually led him on his search to find the original temple. But he's okay. the character that's most likely, I think, to show up in Rogue One if there is any Rogue One uh, a, Force Awakens connections. What a good transition. Um, <laughs> hey, Neil. Yeah. Do you want to tell me everything you know about Rogue One? Uh, uh, sure. And then we'll have Dave tell us the rest. <laughs> There's a pic. <laughs> well, we haven't, we haven't really learned a ton. Um, Dave has told me. Than- Dave knows some stuff. So I know a couple. I, I, I've I've heard a little tit, couple tidbits. I mean, I, we know the general plot, which is it's going to be about the mission that steals the Death Star plans, which come into play in Episode Four. Um, but we also know that there's going to be a visit to a planet that I'm blanking on. That it's going to take place on the planet where they made there was an abandoned droid factory on this planet. Geonosis. Geonosis. There you oh, go. Oh no, no! Sorry, that gives me awful prequel flashbacks. <laughs> That's where the Death Star was developed. Oh, right. No. So we're gonna end up and on that planet, which is a uh, kind of a woodland planet, right? It rains there a lot. That's what I no, remember. No, it's a desert, desert planet. Oh, it's Does a desert it, planet. Wait, yeah, doesn't it rain like on bug. Geonosis? Doesn't it rain on Geonosis? Yeah. I don't where, think so. Where is Obi Wan? Where it's raining and there's oh, okay. I'm looking up that's some... Camino. Oh, okay, sorry. Okay, Genosis it's less than a parsec is... away from Tatooine. Yeah, Genosis is like the desert planet where they have the amphitheater and the bug people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Okay. Um, where the corpse of Jango Fett is. <laughs> so we're as, far as, as far as we know. So we're going to Genosis. Uh, um. I don't there, know. There are no it, Jedi. The cast is amazing. The cast is amazing. Uh, so the cast we've got Felicity Jones. Um, who else? Donnie Yen is in this movie. Donnie Yen, Mads Mikkelsen. Um, Diego Mads Mikkelsen's Luna. going to play uh, Galen. He's an officer of the Empire? I believe so. Okay. And Dave, uh, what's his relationship to Felicity Jones's character? Uh, we think he might be her father. So the, the gist is that Mads Mikkelsen's character Galen has helped design the Death Star but has like Oppenheimer-like regrets about it and so gives information to his daughter so that she can come help uh, undo the bad work that he's done, right? Yeah, so there's like great. a different, there's like a flaw in the plans that you see handed off to Kent, Count Dooku on Geonosis at the end of the movie and then that's somehow solved by the time Tarkin's in command of it and uh, whatever that major flaw is uh, Galen's supposedly the one that discovers it and fixes it 
but um, for some reason feels guilt, either because he doesn't realize the Death Star all along, which seems like a more Disney sort of thing. It's like some guy figures out some weird power thing and they end up using it because he's on an Imperial world for the Death Star. But maybe he knows all along and has like a turn of conscience. But because he can't, you know, go double agent for whatever reason, he takes his uh, daughter who's not involved in the Empire and sends her on a mission to undo his wrongs. I love that. You're like, all Mads Mikkelsen was trying to do is create clean energy, man, and they turn <laughs> it into the Death Star. Um, I want him to be, be like... the one that figured out to focus the energy using kyber crystals, but that's pretty nefarious, so it kind of goes against what I was saying. So a couple other things we've got. Uh, Grand Moff Tarkin is going to be in it as like a hologram, right? Uh, as, He's going to be in it. He's going to be in it. Okay. The... They're, they're using old footage of this deceased actor to bring us Grand Moff Tarkin, right? My hope for all like big name cameos for the most part is hologram. Cause like okay. you want Vader's presence, but you don't want Vader. Right. So a Vader hologram with some James Earl Jones voiceover would be ideal. Um, there's some rumors since they're narrowing, and oh, we forgot to talk about the Han Solo casting in the spoiler free section, but since they've narrowed down the Han, the young Han Solo casting to like 10, 10 young men, uh, and and will allegedly and then Dave Franco and Dave Franco and will allegedly announce within the week. And the reason they're rushing it is that a young uh, Han Solo is probably going to appear either in Rogue One or Episode Eight. Rogue One would, I guess, make more sense, except it takes place right before A New Hope. Rogue One does right, so. Uh, you know, are they just are they not even casting like a young Han Solo? Or are they just casting like? Just before Harris, young Harrison Ford on solo. Harrison Ford mm-hmm. was, was 33. The oldest actor they've got on their list is Scott Eastwood, who's 29. Um, generally, they're casting mid to young 20s. But it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense for me for Han Solo to be in Rogue One. Maybe an episode 8 flashback, but that all, it all feels gimmicky. Everything having to do with young Han Solo feels Unless gimmicky. episode 8 is yeah. all about wormholes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I think the young. I like Dave's young, nervous laugh about stuff like that. Well, you mean time travel is the thing that's like that's the shark. I think that's the mm-hmm. shark you can't jump. Everybody, that's, that's how you get Terminator. The the ultimate. It's the, the, it's the, the shark that JJ loves. The ultimate power in the Star Wars universe is being able to conquer death, either keeping your consciousness around or actually being immortal. And to like push that beyond to time travel, I think would might break it. But I, I always thought that the Han Solo movie was going to revolve around the time that he got the Falcon, so we could get a young uh, Lando in there as well. So then why would he be in Rogue One or Episode 8? Do you think that's just a uh, Because a Billy D. Williams could be in Episode 8, and they'd use a flashback to knit Billy mm-hmm. D. Williams to a younger Lando that's going to be in a Han Solo movie. Interesting. Mm. Okay. Could make sense. Is, Bill, is Billy D. Williams definitely in Episode 8? No, but he's still around. Yeah. Uh, and he's is been he there his... to claim his child that was stolen by the First Order and made into a stormtrooper? Mm. Uh, I think that's a bit much. He's been doing his work on uh, <laughs> Star Wars Rebels, though. So he's mm. been around the Star Wars universe, and he's definitely game to show up again. Uh, okay, so speaking of the Han Solo uh, casting, is there anyone on that list that doesn't upset you? Maybe, maybe I'm taking too <laughs> negative attack. Is there anyone on that list that excites you? It's just a list, so until I see something, I'm going to try to keep as much of an open mind. But that being said, I'm of course going to be pissed, whoever it is. Have yeah. they released the f- full list yet? Because the one I saw was only was like six. I saw. I think and there was, was supposed to be twelve. I think it was ten. Let me see. They said it was down to a dozen, and then the the Variety article that came out was only there's only like six names, six or seven names on it. I was just mad that Taron Edgerton wasn't on the list. This is younger than I thought they were going to go. I thought we were going to be like in another. Let's look at Garrett, then uh, Garrett Headland. Garrett Headland. Yeah, like that sort of thing. Uh, that's the reason I went to go see Pan is because I'm like, I want to see him do this crazy character, just in case he has to do a Han Solo impression for a whole movie. Okay, so the list the Variety posted has. Um, Miles Teller, Dave Franco, Logan Lerman, and Ansel Elgort. All of those terrible, in my opinion. Uh, then we also have Emery Cohen, 
who was in Brooklyn, Jack Rayner, who I guess is in a Transformer, but I don't see Transformers movies, so uh, I know uh, him from, he was from Macbeth. He was like <laughs> the male eye candy. Yeah, right. he was really good in Macbeth. So actually, he's okay. my number one choice. Uh, Blake Jenner, who's actually not a bad choice. He was on Glee, and he's going to be in um, Richard Linklater's uh, new film, and Scott Eastwood. So that's you know. Four, five, six, seven, eight. That's eight. So you're right. They said twelve. So there might be four. I mean, my hope is that there's four complete unknowns, like that we don't even know who they are, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like he's been Red- doing uh, Harrison Ford impressions on America's Got Talent. Um, <laughs> high, sc- <laughs> high school child who went to a performing arts school and has the best stage mom in the world. There and, you go. Uh, two people that they got off of literally <laughs> videotapes sent into them. Yeah, yeah. VHS tapes that yeah. were sent to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think the best idea would be go the Daisy Ridley route because the least amount of like preconceived baggage this kid could bring into this role, the better, right? Um, mm-hmm. But, and, and so that being said, I think Jack Rayner, well, I don't know. Like I said, I didn't see the Transformer, but like he's, he's not American. And somehow I trust not Americans more than I trust Americans. Um, and he's, I don't know, he was quite, he's really very, very charismatic in Macbeth in, in a movie that didn't really lend itself to charismatic performances. So that would be my, my choice. If, if, okay, so of the eight names, is there one that you would pick? Neil. Um, no. You have to. <laughs> Uh, like, oh, I have to? Rito's blaster to your head. You have to pick one. Wait, Hunter Parrish isn't on that list, is he? The no. dude from Weeds? No, but I do like Hunter Parrish. He might be too old now, though. I feel the same thing about the dude who we were talking about doing the Harrison Ford impressions, because he was also in The Age of Adeline, and he's really good. But Anthony Ingruber. Yeah, but he's too old, too. So, I mean, and we don't know what... According was, to what they keep saying, he's too old, yes. And he wasn't a very good actor in Age of Adeline. Like, he was an uncanny mm. Harrison Ford, but he wasn't, like terribly good and yeah, his... there really just aren't i'm still going i it's still Taron edgerton for me <laughs> He's you can't not even pick on the that list. i'm saying you can't pick that um, pick one of these eight you can't cheat um I don't, the only one of those that seems like a good decent enough actor is the kid from brooklyn emory cohen but you didn't see smash in which he's terrible uh, no. uh or An- ansel Engord is not a bad <laughs> choice either okay dave what's your there's really no good choice dave i I said there was no good choice um (laughs) uh yeah but you're nina gold and you're staring at a list of eight names and you hot and you're like you're like guys listen she's probably british but anyway she's like guys listen this hot young han solo movie is a bad idea and they're like yeah but we're doing it she's like listen no one can be young han solo they're like too bad nina you gotta pick one so casting director Nina Gold's like, Shit. and we're still sure that Lord and Miller don't want to do an animated version, <laughs> or stop motion, or the Michael Douglas effect from Ant Man on Harrison Ford, like or any of those. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I guess I'd roll the dice on Jack Rayner. All right, Jack. Ooh, he really is. I I have seen that uh, Transformers movie, and he really is like just another block of wood that. Michael Bay put next to a scantily clad supermodel and that's it. Like a Jai Courtney sort of situation. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. but less memorable. Um, all right. So well, at least Jai Courtney's bad at acting and you can remember that <laughs> oh, that guy's bad, but like this guy was like not yeah, registered. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like make any judgments on someone's acting ability based on a Transformer movie, right? That's like saying Natalie Portman's a bad actress because she was terrible in the prequels. No, she's not. She's great. That's so, true. You know? Uh, you know, and Shia LaBeouf is... Not a good actor. No, he's a good actor. He's a bad person, but he's a good actor. <laughs> Apparently, just... Jack, Jack Rayner was in Delivery Man, that Vince Vaughn movie, so maybe I have to watch that. <laughs> I think I'm just tired I of just, talking I feel about like Logan Lerman. 
Logan Lerman is like where charisma goes to die, man. That kid. Mm, all of these. This list is where charisma went to die. Yeah. No, I mean, Miles Teller is charisma, but it's like a shitty charisma that I don't want on my Han Solo. Right. Um, Miles Teller is the worst yeah. person. Like, he's the worst part of Han Solo's very dynamic personality. Yes. I thought exactly. you were going to say the worst actual person on this list. <laughs> <laughs> he might be. Well, no, Teller's good. I mean, he was good in... Um, Whiplash. Whiplash. That's the one. I did like uh, Logan Lerman in 310 to Yuma. But all he has to do is, like, look startled and be kind of a shitty son. That's it. You know, mm-hmm. it was not challenging. Yeah. But I, like, I really don't. I, I love Lord and Miller. They're fantastic at what they do. But um, I just don't know how they're going to do this one. I don't, I don't know how they're going to pull it off. Um, okay. On better news. <laughs> on better Star Wars. Like, is, Han, is the Han Solo movie... Where this franchise jumps like the shark. Dave says it's not until time travel, but yeah. I'm saying it might be, it might be young Han Solo. And that's, and that's only like four or five movies in, right? So. Yeah, somebody made a point on, on Twitter the other day that I liked, and I, I apologize in advance for not remembering who it was, but they said it was, you know, as long as they kind of pick up kind of mid relationship with Han and Chewie, story wise, they should be okay. But if we have to go through like a Han and Chewie meet cute thing, this is going to, that'll be really bad. Like if it's like a, how Han met Chewie is like the whole first act, then that's not going to be fun to watch because no one cares. Like people care about that they're together, not how they came together. It's like, I never wanted to see Darth Vader as a child because he's not Darth Vader. You know, it's cooler if it, if you're in it. So, um, I think this is this is this is the minefield part of the Star Wars expansion, yeah, ever expanding Star Wars cinematic universe. The asteroid field. See, yes. for me, it still has. I mean, the spinoff movies are the ones that still have the infinite potential because we know what Star Wars saga movies are. We have no idea what the Star Wars spinoff movies are. So if Let's, they're yeah. Mm-hmm. If they're good and they realize that, you know, we don't, we didn't want to see young Darth Vader and therefore we don't want to see young Hud solo and we don't want to see what the life debt's about because this is not the place for that story. Then like, you know, in my mind, dream scenario, we hit like, you know, some sort of crazy smuggling operation that Han needs a fast ship for. So he has to go track down the Millennium Falcon and then does like a quick little heist. It's just like in and out. Here's the character, but my like great hope, especially when people talk about like the Force Awakens tying to Rogue One, is that these anthology movies are just free of all of that. They're just these mm-hmm. nice little stories to play around in the universe, like I enjoyed playing around the expanded universe or playing around in some of the games uh, that you know didn't. They were allowed to use the themes of Star Wars, but didn't have to you know necessarily have someone get their arm chopped off for a Skywalker, or a Jedi. Yeah, no, you're you're right because you know certainly the Marvel movies were much better, I think, uh, or just I don't know less less stressful to me when they didn't have to bend so hard to try to connect everything to everything and mm-hmm. and and carry all of that. Ant Man, Ant Man was just kind of fun. Ant Man, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like early um, Iron Man. I do think that when it comes to the Star Wars, this you know the Star Wars stories, um. Rogue One's kind of in a perfect spot because it'll be familiar enough and we'll get to like have weird little tie-ins where, you know, Darth Vader might show up or something cool might happen. Um, but I, I think the Han Solo, the, the origin story movies of existing characters from the original trilogy, those are the ones that are going to be really tough for them to pull off because there is so much interconnectivity that they have to work with. And there is so much baggage that comes along with those characters. I think the rogue one thing is like the only major character in that movie that has baggage is the death star itself. Like everything else is kind of (laughs) ancillary. There's, you know, there's not really going to be any Skywalker stuff in it. Maybe there's no Jedi, right? There's no Jedi. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be this kind of dirty gritty and it's kind of the best the thing that we that i like best about some of the marvel movies and it's interesting you brought this up is that when they start with a type of movie that they like and and they make a marvel movie out of that you know like when they went and they said okay we want to make a political thriller and they're like 
Winter Soldier. Okay, we'll do that for Winter Soldier. Yeah. Or, you know, we want to make a heist film. Okay, now we have Ant-Man. Um, this feels like that kind of template where it's like, okay, we want to make a cool heist film about, you know, pilots and espionage and stuff like that. It's like, okay, well, here's our Star Wars version of that. Yeah, I don't see yet where Han Solo fits into that. Well, I mean, there's the nice thing is there's a cool like outline as assuming that there's a, a controlled effort to get us to focus on the correct parts. Like you look at a book like Star Wars Aftermath and see how it's like feeding into what were supposed to be the first Star Wars stories. So like there's a at the in the middle of that book, Han and Chewie go off to do Aftermath 2, which is going to be them on Kashyyyk after Return of the Jedi, liberating all the Wookiees. And that's like the perfect place in a novel to put like the life debt story, you know, where you're actually with all these Wookiees and everything. And you don't have the pressure of, you know, actors trying to portray it on the film and it feeling false. But then they also had this chapter um, that supposedly was going to lead into the Josh Trank Boba Fett movie about somebody else obtaining the armor back on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And that was looking like, a, you know, sort of like a new sheriff comes into town Western uh, where that mm-hmm. would have been Boba Fett, but post Return of the Jedi and mostly just someone in the armor. So my hope is that like the fact that the first, like Kathleen Kennedy said, the fact that the first two Star Wars stories are prequels or whatnot is sort of like happenstance because they really do have stories they want to fill in there. Mm-hmm. That's the hope, at least. But yeah, yeah I mean, like, I'm, no one I'm down with that. When they were like way back when, where they were like, oh, maybe a Yoda film. It's like, no one cares. No right. one cares what young Yoda was doing. <laughs> Yoda, Yoda did multiple lightsaber fights in the prequels, and that wasn't good enough. Yeah. In fact, it was terrible. I mean, <laughs> I guess Maz Kanata has a reason to show up in Rogue One, but that would even feel heavy handed to me. I'd watch a Maz Kanata movie. I'd also watch a Maz Kanata Maz movie. Maz Kanata and Chewie. <laughs> and we could finally get the answer. I think uh, Bajiba wrote an article about whether or not they thought Monscanada and Chewie had ever uh, become intimate. Which important questions, guys? I like that Wookie. Star- <laughs> I like that Wookie. I like that Wookie. A Star Wars story. <laughs> <laughs> I either quote I like that Wookie or tell that to Kanja Club at least once a day. <laughs> those are my I- those are my two favorite lines. <laughs> I had someone scream that to me on the street. Tell that they, to Kanji. They knew me, but he just like from like tw- you know twenty five, good twenty five yards. He's like, tell that to Kanja Club, and I'm just like, oh, that was directed at me, wasn't it? <laughs> now I have to turn around. I'm trying to get it to catch on as like an alternative to that's what she said. Um, <laughs> and it's working. Can we just get a Kanja Club movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll just see the raid three yeah yeah exactly it's working really well like one close friend of mine will just say tell that to counter club to me about anything but i wanted to catch on worldwide okay Uh, we'll start here on this podcast start here tell that to counter club (laughs) uh are there any lines that you guys have bumping around your heads from the force awakens that you like to say oh like random quotables yeah it's tough because I live with someone who hasn't seen the movie yet, but can hear me talking all the time. So I've been talking about it. So basically has seen the movie. Java hasn't seen the movie. I know. But then it's also like, so she knows what happens, but doesn't know any of the lines. So I'm not going to be like, tell that to Kaja Club. She's just going to, she's <laughs> going to look at me weird. Like I have, I have problems already. I feel like the the you need a teacher is really it's it's Adam Driver stuff. Oh, nice! For me. I've gotten some responses uh, by making a lighter sound when I give a thumbs up. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome! Nice. Uh, I think my f- favorite line is the one that doesn't exist in the movie, which is the meme that's been going around where it's a shot of Ray holding out the lightsaber and Luke is like, "There was a hand. Did you bring the hand?" <laughs> <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> Um, All right. Those are those are my the, the you need a teacher thing is uh, is was really up there for me. You need a teacher. You need gotta, a teacher. You gotta get that driver cadence down. I'm so excited for Saturday Night Live now. I was so skeptical, oh and then I saw the promos and 
I was like, okay. nope, never mind. I just there needs to be at least one sketch where uh, Lena Dunham is on there as like Kylo Ren's girlfriend. <laughs> or oh no, they fired Noel Wells. I was gonna say or Noel Wells as mm-hmm. Lena Dunham as mm-hmm. Kylo Ren's girlfriend, but they fired her, so they can't do that. Now they have to get That's the it. real. She went thing. on to be great in Master of None. So. Now they have to get the real thing. Well, Wells is great. Um, all right. But there is a new uh, season of Girls coming out, and you know how people love to do promotional stuff on SNL, so. True. We can hope. It's true. Was Lena, Lena Dunham never hosted, right? Um, so I saw her give a speech at South by two years ago. She gave a keynote. <clears throat> and I think, I don't know if Adam had, uh, had already been announced I think it had already been announced to be in Star Wars, but I can't remember. But anyway, she was talking about how, like, she thought it was sexist that the men of Star Wars, like Alice Karpovsky and, and Adam Driver, were getting more work than the women, and that she thought that spoke to a sexist Hollywood. I 100% agree that Hollywood is sexist. Like, I so agree with her. It definitely There's, like, data that supports that and stuff. That's true. I but like also, it's science at this point. It's like global warming. It's like there's just... <laughs> People who deny that Hollywood is sexist, and they're crazy. <laughs> but also, I'm going to be a traitor to my sex and say Adam Driver and Alex Karpowski are the best people on that show. Mm-hmm. So uh, in this case, I think it's talent being rewarded, to be honest. And Lena Dunham's doing fine, so no. Uh, I think but they're it, all doing fine. Well, I looked up, like, the rest of them to see, I just the other day to see, like, what they have, you know, because Adam Driver has, like, what, 10 movies pending on his mm-hmm. IMDb, right? The girls, like, between them, like, the, the non-Lena Dunham girls, um, only uh, Zerja Mamet has a pending project. The rest yeah. of them don't. So, I mean, there's something to be said for that. Then again, like you said, Adam Driver and Alice Karpowski are the number one and number two reason. Like, yeah. number three is, like, Lena Dunham's writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, they are the top two reasons why I watch that show, because they're fantastic. They're so good. Um, all right, sorry, that was our little uh, girls mm-hmm. SNL promo. Mm-hmm. That's this week, right? Yes, yes. Yes, Let's stay up late. <laughs> all right, anything else you want to talk about, Star Wars-wise? Wait, do we ever get what Dave knows about Rogue One? Oh, the, the Oppenheimer stuff. I guess I, oh, okay. I, yeah, stepped on, I stepped on Dave's line on that, I guess. Oh, I Is there mean, anything else that we know about Rogue One yet that's interesting? Well, there's going to be a lot of crashing x-wings at least two one was on the beach mm-hmm. and there were aerial photos of it and there was like a replacement rig that's going to cgi into an x-wing um and i think that leads into this town because there's also a description of the set that an x-wing is like crashed through the wall and into some buildings and like into a street of like a desert town so it's like unpaved roads uh but it still has like um Tatooine style buildings but they have like technology like panels and wires uh, and vents coming out of them so it's not actually Tatooine but it's like a desert city that's been somewhat modernized and this X-Wings crashed into it. It's the uh, the X-Wings or at least the featured X-Wing that has leaked out through TMZ photos is white and black uh, sort of accented So it's but it's the old model it's just not a resistance red or anything mm-hmm. like that and uh yeah, so the scene that you know sort of leaked is that's crash into this area, and then two like bounty hunter-looking types or guys in long trench coats with big guns sort of confront five stormtroopers, and the guys with big guns are both masked, and one of them, it sounds like, is wearing a mask that sounds like the Darth Revan mask, which is cool to me as somebody who likes Knights of the Old Republic, but it's like it seems like there could be like a battle or something that then there's like some recon that happens amongst um, all these crashed spacecrafts. That's part speculative. Who's Darth Revan? Darth Revan is the uh, villain that's sort of the impetus for the Knights of the Old Republic video game and a lot of mm-hmm. uh, parts of his costume sort of contributed to the look of Kylo Ren early on, I think. Okay. Cool. But yeah, um, I have one more, one other question too. Yeah. Oh, there's also different sword uh, helmets, th- but we'll we could do that later. Oh, cool. Um, this is not Rogue One topic, but it's definitely spoilery. Uh, what have we learned? This is something I haven't caught up on yet. But what have we learned about Snoke? Oh yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Dave, what have we learned about Snook? Uh, not a whole bunch. He's really old. He thinks Kylo Ren is uh, like a potentially powerful apprentice because he has the mix of like light side training, but like dark side inclinations. Um, uh, like he's the correction to where Luke went wrong for the dark side. He thinks that like Vader had a moment of sentimentality that caused his downfall, but it wasn't like Vader was horrible or did it wrong. He just had that one moment and that sentimentality is the weakness, but ultimately like a mix of both trainings. So it's like Sith is no good, but you know, like this sort of dark side influenced mix of both makes for the most powerful. And then also in the novelization, in the audio version of the novelization, the voice that Ray hears in her head to kill Kylo Ren while they're having like a in the battle in the snow and she resists it is done by the Snoke voice actor. So he's sort of mm-hmm. like all around. And then I think also in the novel it makes more explicit that Leia knew that Snoke was trying to turn Ben and kept that fact from Han Solo. And so it's like in the movie when she says it was Snoke, it was always Snoke. That's actually an admission point for her where, you know, she had, she'd never really told him he hadn't done anything wrong up until that point, which is sort of why they were estranged. Mm. Hey, by the way, you're not a bad father. Yeah. <laughs> also, get, get our son back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's of that we don't really know. I I like the idea that he's old and that he's not like a returning character because uh, sort of he's not Darth Plagueis, right? Sort of an aftermath. They were talking about seeking like a wellspring of the dark side and uncharted space, and so I like that they found it, and then that was Snoke or is Snoke, and then you know Luke went. My question is, what was Snoke doing uh, um, while the whole Vader thing was happening? If he's old, like he's just chilling, t- tending to his head wound, chilling in the outer rim. Yeah. You know? So, so you're saying he's the dark side answer to the Jedi War Royal Temple? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, although he's powerful with the dark side, we have no evidence that he's powerful. So it's possible that, like, why you know, screw with the Emperor and Darth Vader if they're badassing around an entire part of the galaxy mm. that you're not. Like, in. he could be the the dark side's Maz Kanata for all we know. It's like force sensitive, but oh. not strong with it. And and since right. we. Since we know that um, there was talk of Darth Vader showing up as a Force ghost uh, in... Which I... Go ahead. Which you what? I don't know. Like, he shouldn't be able to do that, but go ahead. Well, his Force ghost was Hayden Christensen. Well... Right? Yeah. At the end of wherever he was reinserted, at the end of Jedi. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't as, like, an adult... It wasn't as Vader that he came back as a force. Someone, ghost. so it you was, know, uh, Dave, I did write about. So I wrote about the Hayden Christian thing, and I did write something about how, like, usually, right, it's light side people who can force ghosts, and mm-hmm. then someone like uh, uh, actually me and and referenced something <laughs> where it was like a Darth someone was haunting people. You, uh, you, you, I mean, didn't you mention it? Not, not that you were the um actually person, but did you mention Darth me? Bane? Like, yeah, Bane, Bane exists as like a specter or yes. something, and he like haunts yeah. Yoda at one point. I got one. That's, uh, that's, but here's the question: It's not like, a force if, ghost. Okay, it, okay, so so okay, so like Anakin and or Vader would show up in some sort of ghostly form that is not a force ghost, but ghostly. Uh, the question is: Was he haunting the helmet? Was it all like projected, like? you know, nonsense that, that Snoke put out there in the world to seduce, um, Kylo, you know, like what, what, what is your best theory about what Kylo Ren means when he's like, show me again, right? Doesn't he say, show me again? Mm-hmm. Um, so what I, does he mean by show me again? I mean, I would love for there to be a dark side force ghosting sort of thing, because I like the idea, um, like uh, there isn't like a good or bad it's how you use it and like um, humanoid emotions attributed to you know light side and dark side 
So the idea that there's like a sentience to the force that's added to by people who get really powerful in it is interesting to me. There's just no evidence that that exists for the dark side outside of Bane, who was like the guy who invented the rule of two. So I don't think anybody's ever been that powerful. And it was a huge deal when Qui-Gon learned he could keep his consciousness intact. And then even more of a big deal when... uh, he, uh, Yoda and uh, Obi-Wan completed the training to learn how to force ghost. And we don't know when Anakin learned how to force ghost or how, but it's like, unless the he showed up as sort of a flickering Anakin Vader force ghost in the movie, I still don't know that's possible. That's still breaking the rules as far as we yeah, know. Yeah, it's also, it's weird from a, yeah, like a world building rules standpoint that he ever did force ghost because it was... So the both Yoda and Obi-Wan went out doing something good. Like for Yoda, it was like completing Luke's training. And then for Obi-Wan, it was, you know, being cut down by Vader to save the real uh, hero of the story. And then Anakin, I guess, I'm trying to think about like, how would George Lucas explain why Anakin came back if he has well, never I mean, done so yet? Saint- it's like... Oh, he was redeemed at the end of Jedi? In the trilogy, he died saving his son, right? Yeah, in right. the trilogy, it seems like a sainthood thing, but in the, or in the original trilogy, mm-hmm. in the prequels, it's uh, like meditating on the difference between the living force and the cosmic force, the midichlorians and the thing mm-hmm. that you can't touch out there, that sort of, you know, god force. And somehow through mm-hmm. studying that, uh, you gain access to the power to force ghost and Qui-Gon died mm. like right before he got to the final step but he was like the first Jedi that we know of in canon to ever force ghost mm-hmm. what are the odds so it still wouldn't explain Sorry. why Vader would come back and teach uh, Kylo Ren how to be bad like all the force ghosts were essentially good right I mean there's a <laughs> like even even Anakin was like he he turned back, back around and then got the gift of force ghosting because of his (laughs) act at the end. Well, it's not necessarily bad. Like undoubtedly the dark side is more powerful, but so for some reason, Snoke wants to amass power. And because it's star Wars, it's usually as simple as power equals bad, but it doesn't have to be like being tempted to the dark side is something that happens to lots of complex people. It didn't, it, I mean, it did in the expanded universe, but it didn't really until Kylo Ren in the movies. But I'm hoping that's, like, something we stick with, because that's a really interesting idea. Just like there is no good, there is no bad, there's ways to use the, the god power. Mm. I have a question. Yeah. What do you think the odds are we never hear the word midichlorians again in the Star Wars films? <laughs> really good. Awesome. I mean, the the Empire burned all the records as they went out, <laughs> just like they deleted all the expanded universe from the canon. So, you know, it's whatever gets discovered or rediscovered gets reintroduced, and I, I don't think... So unless there's, like, documents about midichlorians at the Jedi War Royal Temple, like, it's not it's not <laughs> happening. Well, like so many things in the prequels, the world-building idea behind midichlorians <laughs> makes sense. Like, if you're spending so much time in a world where the force is super powerful and you have like warrior monks protecting your Congress, like, yeah, assign some scientists to this weird power that's being used to seize, you know, like political power, figure out, you know, that they're microscopic beings. It's just not good drama when it was inserted. Excellent. All right. Anything else we want to talk about? Anything we missed? There's three different types of stormtrooper helmets from rogue one. Oh yeah, didn't Donnie Donnie Yen someone posted photos of helmets, yeah. right? Yeah. That's like the only other image we have from Rogue One. Wasn't it Donnie Yen? Who it was Donnie Yen. Yeah. And one's black, which makes me super excited to see Shadow Trooper reintroduced because I got so mad when they got deleted out of canon. Doesn't one also kind of look like a Boba Fett helmet? Um Isn't it not- green? Uh, it's like desert brown, and it has like a visor, but it has it looks more like a desert oh, yeah, version yeah. of the Endor uh, speeder trooper. Oh yeah, you're right. Oh, it's so cool looking. Yeah, if you type in Donnie Yen helmet, <laughs> you will get these photos right away. Luckily, you don't get anything weird. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've got my safe search on. So, um, 
Yes. All right. The Donnie Unhelmet uh, Power Hour. Where can people uh, find you on the internet, Dave? Uh, you could find me on geek.com, latino-review.com, and on Twitter at DA70. And Neil? Uh, you can find me writing about Donnie Yen's next movie, Bitman 3, <laughs> on filmschoolrejects.com or on Twitter, where I'm now very famous, at Rejects. <laughs> I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on VanityFair.com. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. I encourage you to either tweet us at our various uh, at addresses or go to findingtheworm.com. Uh, and and drop a comment in here if you have any questions about Star Wars that you want answered. This is something Dave is so good at. He does it for a living, and Neil and I are less good but okay at, which is answering We're Star good Wars questions. We're at having questions. questions. Yes, <laughs> answering Star Wars questions. And so Dave is a great resource. Uh, or, or you can read all of his Star Wars knowledge over on either geek.com or Latino review. You could go directly to the column I've been writing since Disney sold Star Wars by going to s7arwars.com. S, the number seven, arwars.com. Uh, to find all of Dave's thoughts on on all things Star Wars, um, I really liked going to watch Force Awakens, knowing everything, knowing almost everything that Dave knew. It was fun for me. So if you guys like, you guys don't mind spoilers and think it's fun to sort of dive deep into everything, then this is the place for you. Uh, until next time, which will probably be sometime next month. We're probably going to do this about once a month. So we might do another one of these a month from now, maybe with another. War Room Fighter. Uh, until then, bye bye. Who are you? I'm no one. I'm no one.